Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here. Glad for those of you who are joining us online. Glad you guys are joining us this morning. Uh, that we get to spend some time together worshiping through the study of His Word, through singing together, and uh, just glad that you joined us today, wherever you are this morning. We are going to be getting back into the Book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible with you, you can go to Matthew 14. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. Um, all the stuff I should turn on my monitor here is going to be on this monitor, and uh, you can follow along with us there as well. Um, and that would be great. Matthew 14, actually more specifically, Matthew 14, verse 14 is specifically where we're going to be today. But before we get into it, I want to give you a little update about last week. Last week, for those of you who were uh, joined us in person or online, I, I sprung a little last-minute request on you, and uh, we wanted to have our first annual MLK Day Serve Day, and um, so we wanted to make up, if you were here, you remember this, we wanted to make up 60 gift boxes for the, all the staff at MES, our, our closest school, just to be able to tell them thank you, that we see them, that we know that, like for many of us, but teachers especially have carried a lot of the brunt of the chaos and discomfort of this last year, and uh, that we see them, and, and we want to tell them thank you, and that if you're in education, you know this, that being a part of being in education is, is, is in many ways, it's very much a calling, and uh, to love and serve our kids well as they, as they do, we want to tell them thank you, and so I asked you, you know, to come up with stuff for 60 boxes. Uh, uh, Katie at Ovenbird Bakery um, graciously uh, made almost 800 cookies for us, and we just had basically pallets of cookies, which was kind of our starting point. And, and uh, if you don't know Katie, she's at Ovenbird Bakery in Independence, and if you're in the area, you should go by there. And first of all, just tell her thank you, but you should also buy stuff from her. Um, and as I said last week, you can get fat to the glory of God. Amen. And so, uh, just to tell her thank you. And, and so, we, I showed up on Monday, and uh, a bunch of people left stuff in the, in the, in the breezeway. And uh, let me tell you what we ended up doing. We ended up filling 60 boxes, just chock full of stuff, all kinds of goodies and stuff. It was hard to keep the volunteers from wanting to eat the stuff out of the boxes. Jack Weinbender, uh, anyways. Um, wanting to eat the stuff out of the boxes. We made these boxes, but then because of your generosity, we ended up having extra cookies and 60 extra gift cards that we ended up taking to IES, and Brian Ross, who works there, helped us get in, so it wasn't illegal uh, for us to get in and break in, but he helped us get in and, and, and put out these things all as a gift to all this, the staff at IES, and then we end up with even more gift cards that I gave to Jodine Pressler, who works at Talmadge Middle School, and she took them by and gave them to a bunch of the staff at Talmadge Middle School, and, and, and so I just want to say thank you for, if you don't know anything about this church, one of the things you should know is that this is a place that is excessively generous. And so I just want to thank you again for stepping up and showing up and in just a small way being an incredible blessing in this community. I do have to tell you one story. Um, there was a, a college freshman uh, who was here last week and she um, is actually going to go into education and she, so she knew how difficult it's been in this last season. And uh, so she posted on her Facebook what we were doing and uh, she ended up, she ended up with enough money given to her by friends and family and all that kind of stuff, that she went and bought 60 Dutch Brothers gift cards. And it was really humbling that if a college freshman can come up with 60 Dutch Brothers gift cards, like, what am I doing with my life? 
general question I ask every morning when I wake up. Uh, anyways, so just thank you for stepping up and just loving and serving on our community. Uh, it was, it was uh, very well appreciated by a lot of people. Uh, so Matthew 14, you got your Bibles? Matthew 14, if not, we're going to be on the screen here. But before we do, uh, I want to read you a quote because you're going to get into Matthew 14. If you have a Bible, you're going to open up. You're going to see Matthew 14, verse 14, probably above verse 13. It's going to have a header. And the header is going to tempt you to check out, because the header is going to say something like this, feeding the 5,000, or Jesus feeds the masses, or something to that effect. And, and here's going to be your temptation. Uh, I'm pretty well convinced that whether this is your first time in church, or you've been going to church all your life, you've probably heard this story some way, somehow, insinuated some way about Jesus taking five loaves and two fish and feeding 5,000 men plus women and children, you're going to be tempted to check out because you've heard this story so many times. But, but I want to read a quote from a theologian and a church historian to set you before we get into this passage about why this passage is so important that we don't check out. Okay, so this is what the church historian theologian said. He said this, whatever else was profound to the early church, few stories of Jesus were more important than this one. And yet, we often relegate it to no more than a cute story for kids and flannel graphs. Whatever other stories the church would tell about who Jesus was, there were few stories that were more important to the first and second century church than this one. And you should notice this too, because it's in fact, it's the only miraculous work of Jesus' ministry that's recorded in all four of the Gospels or all four of the biographies about Jesus is this story. Not, take, a, take a breath and just realize this. Not even the virgin birth is described in all four Gospels, but this story is. There's something about this story that was so important to the early church that every single one of the gospel writers who wrote down to write their biography about Jesus, the most important things that you need to know about Jesus, they sat down four times to do it, and every single one of them said, well, that story can go, but this story, this story has to stay. I mean, if it was me, right, if I was writing a story, a biography about Jesus, uh, there are some stories that I would make sure we're told. Like Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, right? Doesn't that seem like that should be an important story that should be in every single one of the tellings about Jesus? But it's not. Well, what about Jesus walking on water? Is that not just like the, I mean, just, if you just take some time and you use your creative imagination and you try and imagine what was going on and what it looked like for Jesus to be walking on water in a storm, that's a crazy story. But it's not. But this story, there's something about this story that the early church understood to be so important that every single biographer about Jesus said this is the one story that cannot be cut. There's one gospel writer, one biographer of Jesus, and he tells the story. At the end, he says, you know, he says, Jesus did all these other things. He did tons of other things that I don't have time to tell you about. But I tell you these things so that you would know and have faith. 
all the things that Jesus did and the countless things that Jesus did that we don't even know about. Three years of healing and teaching and, 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 you, and you've got to imagine some crazy, amazing stories. All of those pale in comparison for the early church to this story. So you have to ask yourself, why? Why is this the one story that every biographer of Jesus, every gospel writer says, this story, we have to continue to tell the story? Now, it's even bigger than that for Matthew. Matthew is one of the more complex, um, uh, it, it's, it's um, maybe language we use, it wouldn't be language they would use, but Matthew is more kind of like more academic, right? And it's, and it's very well structured, it's very purposeful, and Matthew knows exactly what he's doing with every little bit and where he positions stories and how he intertwines things, and it's a beautiful book, beautifully complex book because of that. You know what's at the center of Matthew's story? This story. This story. In fact, it comes right at the end of Jesus' three years of ministry. In about a chapter or two, we're going to start to pivot, and we're going to start to turn towards the cross, and Jesus going into Jerusalem, and eventually being crucified, and then him raising from the dead, and that's going to be the rest of the story soon. But Matthew is building an ark. He's building, a, coming to a climax point, and right before he gets that climax point, the story that builds for this moment is this story, is this story. So why is this story, a story that as the church historian and theologian said, we often relegate to a cute kid's story and flannel graph, why is this story so important to the early church? And it's because it answers a question we've often asked around here. It answers for them this question. Why are we here? Not just you, like that, that's another question. We can have that question. That's an important question. We ask that question, um, you know, why are you still here? Why is a follower of Jesus, does God leave you? You know, I, if you've been around long enough, you've heard me tell this kind of story, this illustration. It's like, why, why if we are fully aware that the world is a broken place full of sin and death and disease and pain and heartache, why does God, as a good, loving father, when you give your life to Jesus and become a follower of Jesus, why does he not just suck you up with like a big Hoover vacuum into heaven? Why does he leave you here knowing that you're going to have to endure heartache? You're going to have to endure pain. You're going to have to endure regret and brokenness and sin and death. But more than that, why are we here? Why is the church here? Why, why, why did God leave this thing that he calls the body of Christ, the family of God? Why did he leave us here? And for the early church, this story we're going to look at today was the story that answered that question. It's the reason it was so important why they told it over and over and over again. Because in one simple story that you could get a child to remember and recite back to you, it reminded the early church of their purpose in the time waiting for Jesus' return. So if you have a Bible, let's look at it. It says this, Matthew 14, verse 14. <clears throat> it says this, when he, went to when he went ashore, being Jesus... He saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. Now, just pause here for a second. Half of the time when you're reading the Bible, here's a little important tip for when you're reading the Bible. Um, it takes a lot of focus and it takes a lot of energy, but half of the time, the important things to notice in Scripture are not just the things that are there, but the things that aren't there. 
So, so look at, look at, Matthew's going to tell us this story. And he comes to this right here, compassion for them and healed their sick. That's all he says. Did you notice, Matthew's not particularly concerned with Jesus' miraculous, amazing, life-changing healing of people's bodies. He wants to tell them about giving a bunch of people dinner. That Matthew's trying to get our attention away from this to something more important, so much so that he just skirts it by as a detail. Oh yeah, we landed on the shore, Jesus walked up there, there are a bunch of sick people, he healed them, but here's the real important story. So it says this, verse 15, if you're reading along with me, if not, it's right here on the screen for you. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate, and the hour's already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, verse 16, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, here's the deal. If you've been around the church a while, you know this. The disciples are generally idiots, just like you and me, right? The disciples are just like us, all stupid and say and do stupid things. If any one of us, a lot of times we like to throw shade on the disciples because we're like, <laughs> Peter, you're an idiot. Couldn't you just walk on water? Right? Like, what are you talking about? Right? You have a hard time getting out of bed or walking in a straight line. Walking on water. Like, he got out of the boat. Right? It's easy to throw shade on the disciples, but every single one of us, if we'd been there with Jesus, we would have looked just like an idiot like they do. And it's easy a lot of times for us to want to throw shade on the disciples and, and to be like, oh, those disciples such fools, they just never get it. Like, Jesus is there, and they don't get it. And it's easy, and a lot of times when we look at this passage, we want to throw shade on them too. Because we know the end of the story. We know what Jesus is going to do. We know that he's going to feed all these people. But there's some things I want you to notice about what happens here. First of all, obviously, the disciples are a little irritated. Do you notice the disciples don't ask Jesus a question? They, they don't ask him a question. They just tell him a bunch of stuff. And they don't even acknowledge him rightfully at the beginning. Most every other time the disciples talk to Jesus, they start with this word. They start with this little word, Lord. But they cut right to their frustration or they cut right to the point. And it's easy to kind of like mock them, but, but I want you again to notice what's missing. Okay? Verse 15, they tell him, and then look at what Jesus says to them. Verse 16, sorry. Look at what Jesus says. They don't need to go away. You know what's missing? Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Did you see that? He, this, this is the way Jesus generally starts a, a rebuke in kind of his like compassionate, pastoral, loving kind of way. He, he'll go, ye of little faith. Ye of little faith. He doesn't look at the disciples. There's something really good and great that Jesus is acknowledging and doesn't want to squash. And I think we need to be careful not to squash ourselves. It's easy for us to look at the disciples and go, come on, disciples, Jesus is there. Five loaves, two fish, 5,000 people. I heard the story about this in Sunday school class. Don't you know? But Jesus doesn't. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't. He, he, he redirects them. 
Here's the really great thing that I think Jesus is trying to honor in this moment in the disciples. This is one of the few times in all of Scripture where the disciples take their eyes off their own self and see the hurting and broken people in front of them. It's one of the few times in Scripture where the disciples go to Jesus and go, hey, Jesus, um, there's a problem here. These people are hungry, and I know you went 40 days without food. 5,000 men don't go 40 days without food. We got about 37 minutes, and 5,000 hangry dudes are going to start plowing up this hill, and that's not going to go good for us, Jesus. You need to send them away to go get food. It's one of the only times in Scripture, in the story telling of Jesus, where the disciples have the same eyes as God to see the hurting and the weary in front of them. I don't think that it's with dismissiveness or anger or carelessness that they want Jesus to send them away. It's out of compassion and love and care, knowing they need something. And for one of the few times, they see in front of them the hurting and the broken and the weary. The church loved this story and told the story over and over and over again because one of our prayers we should often be praying is that God would make us more like him that he'd transform in us, that he'd redeem and restore, that we would look more like our good father in heaven, that we'd reflect him better than we did yesterday. And one of the characters of God is that he sees the hurting and the broken and the weary. That if we are to grow in our faith and become more and more like Jesus, it means that each day we will see in front of us more clearly those who are broken and hurting, that we will have the eyes to see it. And the disciples, for one of the few times in all the Gospels, the disciples see the people in front of them. Now, their solution isn't a great one. I mean, it is, it is by all logistical situations, send them away. The fifteen to 25,000 people that are in front of them, send them away. That's, that's a good logistical thing because, Jesus, I don't know if you checked our bank account, but we got $7.37. We don't have enough for all of us to get a happy meal, Jesus. We got five loaves and two fish. Here's an interesting thing about when you think about this story. Five loaves and two fish, that's what they end up bringing to Jesus. That's not enough for the 13 of them to eat dinner. And see, sometimes when we look at the world and we see with the eyes of Jesus and we see the broken and hurting in front of us, sometimes we look to our own situation and we go, but Jesus, I don't even have enough to buy myself dinner. I I don't have enough energy, capacity, emotional energy. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough money to take care of myself. And there are all these hurting people in front of me. Send them away, God. But Jesus redirects. He says, no, 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 you, you, you do it. Part of what it means to be the church, as fundamental as it sounds, it is so difficult because if we were to be honest with ourselves, we spend 97.9% of our lives concerned with our own self, our own safety, our own comfort, our own family, our own people, our own preferences, is to see the hurting in front of us. Because you see, this is what we know about the character of God. He is the God who sees the outcast. 
He is the God who sees the rejected. He is the God who sees the hurting and the abandoned and the, lo- the, the alone. And if we are to be the people who reflect who he is, then we must have eyes to see the hurting and weary in front of us. But it's more than that. Verse 16, let's read it again, and then we're going to continue reading on. Verse 16, it says this. But Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Here's one of the things I love about that. Jesus already knew. Here's a good little pointer for you. Jesus already knew when he spoke those words that they had in their hands everything that was necessary to feed 15 to 20,000 people. They didn't know it. They looked at their bank account and they had five loaves and two fish and they went, Jesus, come on, five loaves and two fish. But Jesus knew that in his hands, five loaves and two fish was abundantly more than was necessary to feed the masses in front of him. In fact, I think almost there's, you know, theologians are constantly trying to figure out the symbolism, all that kind of stuff. I wonder at the end, they end up with 12 basketfuls of leftovers, I wonder if maybe there's not any symbolism. Jesus is just trying to make a point. And that one of the disciples is sitting there going, come on, Jesus. Now we got to haul this stuff everywhere. Like, who's going to carry 12 baskets? What are we going to do with the fish? Where do we have refrigeration enough ice to keep 12 baskets of fish and bread? What are we going to do with all this? And Jesus wants them to see that in his hands, Five loaves and two fish, not even enough for dinner for the group, was abundantly more than was necessary to accomplish all that God was calling them to. And here's the truth of it. What you have in your hands is abundantly more than is necessary when you put it in the hands of Jesus to accomplish everything that he's calling you to. He he, he says this, They said to him, we have here only five loaves and two fish, right? Jesus, I've only got $7 in my bank account. Jesus, I only have a high school diploma. Jesus, I I can't keep myself organized. Jesus, have you seen how busted my relationships are? I only have five loaves and two fish. And he said to them, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. This is what faith looks like. This is what Trusting Jesus looks like is taking even the meager that you have and placing it in the hands of Jesus. This is our call as a church. This is what eventually made the church that we see in Acts 2 where it says that that the people, that they sold what they had so that no one was without. It, It didn't say that they sold the excess It didn't say that they they sold the extra stuff that they had after they did everything that they wanted, that they used the extra time they had in their calendar after they did everything else that they needed to do, but they gave everything that they had. And that this was was one of the unique elements that that changed the whole human of human history was a people who took whatever they had and placed it in the hands of Jesus because even a meager amount of five loaves and two fish in the hands of Jesus is abundantly more than is necessary to accomplish everything he's calling you to. So, so uh, first, I got two questions for you. First one is this, is who are the 5,000 in your life? Who is it that God has placed in front of you? 
the hurting and the aching and the weary and the lonely and the rejected and the overlooked? Who are those people who your heart break for? And then what are the five loaves and two fish that he's put in your hand? Everybody else might look at the five loaves and two fish and go, come on, come on. You can't do anything with that. Your spouse, your family, your parents might look at you and go, come on, you can't do anything with that. But who are the 5,000? And what's your five loaves and two fish? Because this story was a story they told over and over and over again. Because when a people live out the truth of this story, it will change a community. When their heart breaks for the things that break God's heart. And they see the masses weary and tired and rejected. And they bring to him everything that they have and they place it in his hands. Jesus redeems and restores. Um, uh, Bruner, a theologian, he says this, and I love this. He says that, um, that God used created things to do redemptive things. He took five loaves and two fish to show God's compassion and his care and his provision to thousands. But it doesn't even end there. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says this, ordering the people to sit down on the grass. He being Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and looking up towards heaven, he blessed the food Breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. This is just a little preview for next week. This is actually such a profound, important story that we're going to be in the story again next week, and we're going to actually just look at the illusion that Matthew's trying to show us right there in that one sentence. Because can you think of another story where Jesus took some bread and he raised it up to heaven and he blessed it and he broke it and then he passed it to his disciples? And the disciples gave them to the crowd and they all ate and were satisfied. So why is the church here? Jesus is the one who takes the bread and blesses it and breaks it. But it is the hands of the disciples that feed the 5,000 men plus women and children. God wants to use you to be a conduit of redemption and restoration in a broken and weary world. He wants to show you that in his hands, that even five loaves and two fish are abundantly, excessively, ridiculously more than is necessary to bring redemption and hope to a weary world. So the question for you today is who are your 5,000? Who are those people that God's placed in front of you and your heart aches for them? And what is your five loaves and two fish? Others might mock it. Others might even think it's ridiculous, but God has entrusted you with that so that when you trust him and place it in his hands, it might be abundantly, excessively more, that he might use your five loaves and two fish and your two hands to be a blessing to a weary and broken world. I can tell you as a church, some of the things, some of the 5,000 that sit in front of us that are our people that our hearts break for, that for us, that, that the 5,000 that sit in front of us are, are, are um, like children who are in care. Children who are in foster care. Our kids who are in care. That have, have had to endure what is easily probably one of the most traumatic painful experiences any human will ever go through when they have to be removed from their home and placed into a stranger's home 
And some of these kids, very young, all the way up through high school, who just don't even have the capacity to be able to process or understand what's going on, who feel like their families failed them and rejected them and doesn't want them and feel just this catastrophic brokenness inside them, that there need to be people like the church who tell them that you are seen, that there is a God who loves you, that you are an image bearer of God, that there is a good father, regardless of what your father and mother have looked like, that there is a good father who loves you more than you can fathom. And so we take our five loaves and two fish and say, Jesus, you got to do something. In our community right now, there are over 100 kids in care. We got to do something. For us, it's people who are far from Jesus, people who are broken, and many who don't even yet know that they need Jesus, whose life is spinning and chaotic and, and painful and addicted and lonely that desperately need to hear that there is a good father who loves them, that there's hope and there's rejoicing. And so we'll do whatever. We'll do stupid stuff. We'll take, we'll take our stupid five loaves and two fish and, and people say, well, that's a dumb idea. But in the hands of Jesus, a dumb idea does really miraculous, amazing things. But for you, who is it? God has placed uniquely in you in a beautiful way, a calling to a weary and broken people. And he has entrusted you uniquely with five loaves and two fish. And he's asking you today, what do you have? Put it in my hands. And let's be a part of bringing redemption and restoration to the world.